Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. If you just clicked the link on my webpage or you're listening on blogtalkradio.com or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Oh, need a minute to get something to write with? But don't worry, I'll give the number again right after the commentary. Or if you like, you can Twitter me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. Originally from Washington, D.C., Sylvie is the only renowned African-American female impressionist in the country. She was one of the first solo artists to tour and open for Whitney Houston when Miss Houston was one of the biggest names in the entertainment business. The arrangements they performed in sometimes housed well over 30,000 people. When heavyweight boxing was at its zenith and Muhammad Ali was in his prime, Sylvia was asked to host a roast of the champ at the legendary Apollo Theater. The hosting job was so prolific and the imitations of the world heavyweight champion was so spot on that he looked at her in amazement and said, You're doing me? A woman doing me? That's awesome. As a result of that roast, 
Sylvia was offered a position as an associate writer for one of America's longest-running TV shows, Saturday Night Live. She's one of the few African-American women offered that position. Since that time, Sylvia has opened for some of the biggest names in the entertainment industry, including Gladys Knight, Shaka Khan, The Temptations, and Cher. Most recently, she's worked with Yolanda Adams and Marcus D. Wiley. As a result of her profound career, Sylvia has released her first book based on her true story entitled Almost There, Almost, The Many Faces of Sylvia Traymore Morrison. Sylvia Traymore Morrison, welcome to... A Measure of Truth. Oh, my God. I love your opening music. It is the bomb. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'll be sure to tell the Leo how much you like that intro. Yeah, he'll be yes. very, very happy about that. <laughs> That's very nice. That was very nice. Thank you. All right. Okay. Nice introduction and everything. Oh, my God. I'm like, Michael, go for it. Well, I guess we're getting right into this. You know, <laughs> I was yes. very excited to have you back on the show. We had so much fun last time you were on as yes. well. And, um, yes. you know, there's so much happening with you now. You you found, actually found the time with your busy schedule and career to write a book. Wow. Yeah, Tell us was, about that. Well, you know, uh, actually, I started writing this book in the mid-'90s. Mm. And I, missed, I I had the thoughts to write it way before them because I, I got to thinking about my career and all the stuff that had taken place and all the people that I worked with, is, you know, coming up in the business. Back when I started, Michael, there was there were no almost no black people doing what I did, um, mm-hmm. especially black women. I mean, I, I grew up with the ranks of people who at that time nobody knew who they were, like Jay Leno. Jerry Seinfeld, mm-hmm. uh, Robin Williams, David Letterman, Rosie O'Donnell, nobody, they were scratching the surface just like everybody else trying to catch a break. And so mm-hmm. when I put all that on past, you know, this is, this is really interesting. And then I got to thinking about my tours that I did with Jeffrey Osborne and, and of course, Whitney Houston and, and hitting the stage with Stephanie Mills and Shaka Khan and Gladys. You know, I'm like, you know, I I have a little story to tell. And then and then life happened. Mm-hmm. So I had incidents with HIV, AIDS, um, drug abuse, domestic violence. You know, it, and it all just came together. And we launched the book on October 28, 2011. And I planned... Because, you know, I hadn't seen Whitney in a while. Mm-hmm. When we toured, we did, like, 28 major cities in the United States. And I hadn't seen her in a few years. So I planned the two chapters in the book about her. Oh. oh, my God, when she died on February the 11th. You, I mean, the whole world was in, was mourning. But, you know, here I am thinking I can't wait for Whitney to read these two chapters, because I'm sure some of this will bring back some memories for her as well. And I, you know, I just never got an opportunity to do that. So mm. that, was, that was tough. That was a tough one. Wow. And you still left those two chapters in the book, though. I did. I did. I left them in because I wanted people to know the Whitney Houston that I knew. Mm-hmm. Not the media Whitney Houston. Right. Personal, you know, the Whitney Houston that, that um, that I've 
that I was exposed to. Right. And tell us a little bit about the Whitney Houston that you were exposed to. Well, I met Whitney when she was a young woman. She this was I toured with her in 1986. Hmm. There were no drugs. There was none of the the the, uh, the hoopla involved with everything that people talk about now. And of course, life does happen. So um, I knew a, a giving Whitney Houston, a funny, incredibly talented young woman who was amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, she would. I, I often talk when I'm out doing interviews or whatever about how giving she was. It's just. She's just, I mean, just incredible. Just a, she would give you the shirt off her back. Hmm. But now Whitney didn't play. She was no pushover. Oh, you were not. You were not going to take advantage of her. That was not going to happen. <laughs> they, they painted this beautiful picture of her being America's sweetheart, blah, blah, blah. Oh, no. In the book I talk about one night, and I was positive she was going to laugh and reminisce and reflect back on that. The first night we were on, in the hotel room, I heard a lot of commotion out in the hallway. And I peeped through the peephole, and it looked like somebody, you know, you can't really see through the peephole. So me being my little nosy self at that time, I went and got the ice bucket because I wanted to see what was going on. <laughs> and sure enough, um, when I opened I think we lost you, Sylvia. Okay, looks like we lost Sylvia. We're going to have to wait for her to call back in. I guess you'll realize in a second that she is no longer online. And um, while she's waiting for that, um, we'll just take a quick break, and we'll be right back after this. And hopefully it will not take too long for her to to get that and call us back in. And we'll just hear a little um, information about Bridge to Freedom. Hi, I'm Michael Fordham, host of A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. And I want to take a moment to talk to you about a heinous crime against humanity that plagues our nation. And yes, believe it or not, communities just like yours. Here's something you can do today to lend your support in the fight against human trafficking, also known as modern slavery. For example, Tanya was only 11 when she was forced to use her body for her own survival and the perverse desires of others. Now 18, Tanya knows no other life. She can't even remember when she was able to choose how she wanted to dress. Tanya dreams of being a teacher one day, and with the help of Bridge to Freedom programs and your support, they can empower her and others like her to move from surviving to thriving. You can make a huge difference in the life of a survivor this year through your support and donations to Bridge to Freedom Foundation. Bridge to Freedom is a nonprofit organization that provides aid to survivors of slavery who now live in the U.S., such as former child soldiers and victims of sex trafficking and forced labor. The cornerstone of Bridge to Freedom's work is personal and professional development to help survivors adapt and thrive in their new lives and communities and find work to support themselves. The Bridge to Freedom Foundation needs your support to help people just like Tanya. They need your urgent action to ensure that they can continue to provide clothing and health and beauty services to these survivors. These are not only important for rebuilding self-esteem, but are crucial to finding employment. They're also in great need of storage containers and clothing racks to organize and store donations. 
While donations of needed items are vital, one sure thing that will help to stop the spread of this injustice and prevent it from thriving undetected is educating yourselves about human trafficking or slavery and knowing the signs and the proper authorities to contact if you become aware of a victim in crisis. Find out more at bridgetofreedomfoundation.org or if you have a reason to suspect that someone may be a victim of human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center hotline on 1-888-373-7888. Multilingual call specialists are on standby 24 hours a day, seven days a week. All calls are confidential. What happened, Sylvia? Did you drop your phone in the ice bucket? I think- <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what happened. I was so pressed to call this number back, so because I was, um, you know, enjoying the conversation. So. <laughs> well, you were just telling us you were peeking out in the hallway. You had just grabbed the ice bucket as your excuse to go out there and be nosy and uh, yeah. tell us what you found. And there was Whitney Houston dragging this woman out of the room from across the hall, and I could hear her saying. You're not going to ruin my tour with drugs. You're not going to do it. Because it was her first big tour by herself. The year before, she'd been out with Luther Vandross, and, you know, she'd been touring, touring, but this was her first, it was her love tour. And she did not want any interference. Mm -hmm. So I knew a fun, happy, young, just really, really, she was just the biggest thing in the entertainment industry at that time, just the right. biggest thing. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I think, well, in the introduction, you mentioned that we house, we, we performed in front of venues that housed 30,000 people in some places. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me it was a challenge because nobody knew who I was. They were there to see Whitney Houston. Right. But I think it spoke volumes that, she of all the all the entertainers in the world, the millions of people in the world, she picked one person, one, to go on tour with her and do her show with her. And when I think about that, I could just cry because mm. that, for her that was such an opportunity right. for me. You know, it was just uh, unbelievable. Wow. And how long did did you actually, um, were you on tour with her at that time? We did 28 cities, and and it was during the the, uh, season of of, 1986. So however long it took for us to do that, you know, we did, I know in Los Angeles we stayed there for four nights. We went to L.A. So, you know, I I don't know exactly the time frame, but it wasn't like two years or anything like that. It Mm -hmm. was that same year. We just went from city to city. So, so tell us, what, what is the format of the book? It's um, it's just your experiences and your life stories um, once you got into the entertainment industry. Uh, what is actually, um, you know, documented in this book for us? You know, Michael, it's actually my memoirs. Oh, okay. I, I, opened up, I opened the book talking about, well, I talked about a little incident that I want to share because it's, it's, it's such an interesting opening. But I get to the point where I talk about I grew up in Washington, D.C. on 16th Street Northwest, 16th and Corcoran, Mm. 12 blocks from the White House. I could walk to the corner of where I lived and look down the street and see the White House. Wow. And 
to think that we live that close to the most powerful house in the world, in the world, when I came up, to live in the conditions that the people in my neighborhood lived in baffled me for a long time. Mm. And I wanted to share with the world what it was like living 12 blocks from the White House, which is so totally different than what it is today. It's been gentrified and beautified and all this other stuff. But back then, it was not. And it's funny because I wrote a blog about that, and I said at the end of the blog, I said, when I, was, if, when I think about it, it occurred to me that the president, who we, we, just, we just weren't into politics in my neighborhood, but the president never came outside to play. <laughs> I don't say that in the book, but I said that in one of my blogs. I was like, I wonder mm. what kind of person he would have been as a kid if he'd come outside and played with us. Because we were 12 blocks. Mm. But we didn't. we did not know. At least I didn't, you know, but I'm sure I can speak for a lot of my friends that we were that close to that much power. And um, so I go from talking about growing up in downtown Washington and how I got my first little entertainment singing group together, and we were invited to the mayor's office to sing. I love this story. I love it. We were invited to sing for this famous jazz guy. Now, keep in mind, I grew up in the ghetto. And kids in my neighborhood did not listen to jazz music, so we didn't know anything about jazz. But we did know that we were going to sing for this famous, famous, famous jazz guy. So we got to the mayor's office, and, you know, we were going to sing for this guy. We didn't know who he was, and it was okay because we were at the mayor's office. And so I see this guy sitting over in what we can now identify as like a green room, and I'm, he looks just like somebody my dad would know. So I walk over to him and I said, excuse me, do you know my father? And he's like, I don't know. Who's your father? And I said, well, his name is John Morrison. So he said, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I said, well, we grew up on 16th and Corcoran Street. And so, you know, to make the, the story a long story short, I said to him, um, he said, when you get home, tell your father, that Duke Ellington said hello. <laughs> now, really? keep in mind, Michael, I don't know who a Duke Ellington is. Who is Duke Ellington? Mm-hmm. So I said to him, I said, what, now what's your name again? And he said, just tell him Duke Ellington said hello. So imagine my father's surprise right. when I got home and told him that I just met some guy named Duke Ellington. Wow, that's awesome. So those are the kind of stories that I started out with and how my first professional engagement was at Constitution Hall and I so, was a singer. But you're saying now you were a singer. So Yeah, I was a singer at first. Mm-hmm. So when when did you make this transition into comedy and, and how did that take place? I mean... Well, here's what happened. There were so many singers. I'm not belittling singers because I still to this day love singers. But there were so many people singing with little singing groups or trying to get a record deal, blah, blah, blah. But whenever I did these impressions, people would stop in their tracks. They would stop doing what they were doing and want me to do them. So they started inviting me out to do impressions as opposed to bringing my singing group. Mm. 
As a matter of fact, um, I entered, once I saw how impressed people were with this, so now I want to get seen. You know, I want to see if other people feel the same way as my local friends and family feel. So as time moved on, I entered the Miss Black America contest. And guess, you know what I found out recently? Well, not not many many contestants do comedy, for one thing. How about that? And and you know what? And, Michael, it showed up. It showed up in the competition because it it was like um, Dewey Hughes. I don't know if you know who Dewey Hughes is. Yeah, yeah, I remember Dewey Hughes. Yeah, Dewey did the movie Talk to Me. Um, At that time, he was an executive producer with NBC. Mm -hmm. He, He produced the pageant. And he called in my book. I talk about how he called me over to the side and said, "Oh my God, nobody's seen anybody like you. You're gonna win this thing. You are going to win it." He <laughs> said, "The only problem is you're way too skinny. You can't compete in the bathing suit competition." Because <laughs> I was tiny, I was just little, and you know they were thinking um, buy a real nice bathing suit so that you can camouflage how tiny you are and. Notice I'm using, I'm, I'm being very respectful saying tiny <laughs> as opposed to skinny because I was, uh, ooh, good gracious of life. But anyway, um, yeah, nobody was doing that. Nobody was doing comedy and at the time, to keep in mind, we didn't have any Whoopi Goldbergs or Wendy Williams or Monique's. Mm, so mm-hmm. I was doing people like Cher and Jane Hathaway from the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> And and Lily Tomlin and Joan Rivers because those wow. were the women who were out in the forefront at the time. Right, right. I didn't have a Michelle Obama to do an impression. I didn't have these women. I did have Diana Ross and I did have Tina Turner. Wow, you're giving were, me too many to choose from now. I want you to do something real soon. Then, <laughs> and I'm, I, every time I hear you mention the name, I'm like, I want to hear that one. I want to hear that one. Uh, why don't we start off with a little. Um, a little Wendy Williams, that ought to be. Oh my God! Oh my God! You, you know, you know. Um, well, oh well. Okay, I was thinking if we did the the whole, you know, the whole Michael show. You know, Michael, I just love your voice. I do, I do, I do. <laughs> okay. It's funny how I try to prepare myself for this, but I, I just don't get it. I mean. Okay, I, I got to keep my composure as you do, <laughs> and uh, um, do you a know little. One of my favorite impressions, Michael. What's that? That people rarely ask me to do because they don't, they just don't connect until I do it, and that's um, Jane Hathaway from the Beverly Hillbillies. The secretary okay. to Mr. Drysdale. Yeah, I heard a little bit of that earlier. I saw one of your videos. Yeah, give us a little oh, bit of that. <laughs> I love. As a matter of fact, she would. If she was here tonight, she would say, Michael, I'm absolutely delighted to be here with Ellie Mae and oh, Jed and the whole crew and so forth, you know? <laughs> and back then, in the uh-huh. day, back in the day, you know, I was, I used to be an airline steward, what they call them flight attendants now. Really? And if you got on my flight, you would have the time of your life because I took it upon myself to take the boredom out of flying. And I know a lot of times people, if it's early in the morning, people don't want to 
talk to people and they just don't feel like being bothered or whatever. But when you hear Lily Tomlin come over the air and go, <laughs> you know, and, and so you automatically go, what is going on here? And the flights used to be so full of life. They would be so full of life. And mm. I reflect back on those days and think, my goodness, you know, wow. Wow. Now, when you first started um, being a comedian, was it always the impressions that you were doing, or were you actually doing a, a standard stand-up routine? You know, I only did impressions because it was a gift. It was a mm-hmm. gift. I didn't. I didn't even try to do comedy. It was the industry that labeled me a comedian. I see. I wasn't even thinking about comedy per se. I just did impressions. You know, I could I could talk and then I could sing just like Donna Ross. I could talk and I could sing just like Tina Turner. I could talk just like Lily Thomas. I could talk. I mean, I even had guys that I could do. I could do Gomer Pyle. Oh, I really? not remember who that is. Yeah. But I could do Ed Sullivan because those were the people that were popular at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Give us a little um, of Muhammad Ali. Oh, that's the one I save. Oh, you got to see that. <laughs> I usually try not to do. I'm very visual. Yeah, yeah. So I noticed to, that with some of your other impressions, it was mostly mm-hmm. your expressions and your your um your whole persona just changed, and it's your posture and things like that as well. But yeah. I always feel like I'm cheating my radio audience when uh-huh. I try to do impressions. Although I try to give them a little something, but Muhammad Ali, being that he's a man, and I do all of his gestures and eyes and mouth and hands and shoulders and fans and all of that. It's sort of like unfair to try to do it vocally. Mm-hmm. And so I try to save that kind of stuff for my... And let me ask show. you a question. When, when you're looking at someone that you want to portray, right, and, and mm-hmm. you're, looking, you're looking at so many different things because what you grab from um, the subject is... Um, little things that we didn't notice before, but when we see them on the person that's doing the impression, we get it. We we, we sort of connect and we say, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's what they do. Um, what is it about people who do impressions as opposed to other comedians? What is your mindset that makes you pay that much attention to people to try to mimic um, so many things about them that sort of develops a persona? Wow, Michael, that's a great question. You know, that's, I'm so happy. That's a great question because um, when I was younger, I didn't realize when I was like a little girl, I could hear things. I could hear, and I talk about this in the book, I could actually hear the flapping of a butterfly's wings. I could hear a bee buzzing by. I I would know when a bumblebee, any kind of bee was in the area, I could hear it. I could hear the lights from the street lights. I could hear the buzz in them. But not only could I hear these things, I could recreate them. And it's it's almost like I'm listening to you as we are on this conversation, and I'm detecting little things about how you talk and the way you form your words. And most people don't even pay that about people any mind whatsoever until someone else points it out. Right. Like, like for instance, um, 
you can take uh, take Tina Turner, even though she's very visual and she's somebody I like for, for the audience to see. When she talks, she talks quickly. She right. She talks real fast. <laughs> the things that she does, you know, when I have a new thing, you might think, you know, there's, there's just, there are elements in people's personalities that impressionists, I believe, we see those that other people don't see until it's pointed out. Hmm. It's like I can listen to you long enough, and I may not be able to. Um, it, it's almost like God gives me who he wants me to be able to do. Like my latest impression that I'll be doing, I haven't introduced her to the world yet, is Lettucey. Oh, really? Now, I don't know if you know who Lettucey is. Yeah, but, yeah. Okay. I was listening to her in the radio on the radio the other night, and I started singing with her. And I bust out loud, and I said, oh, my God, it sounds just like her. You know, it's just that was not a scene. And then I got to thinking, oh, because I can't just look at somebody and make a decision to do them. I have mm-hmm. to hear their inflections right, and their right. tones. And I have to, God, it's almost like God has to say, okay, you're going to be able to do this. So, But even with, but with you, I can hear certain characteristics of you, because I listen to the intro and I like, you know, the whole the, the whole cleanliness of your voice and how it just um, it penetrates through the airways, and it's different. It's it's different. You know, you can I could hear your voice and ten other people, and I'd be able to pick yours out. So, how long does it take? You, you, you hear that? To... Did you hear? Did you hear what you did just now? Did you hear what, what you just did? What you said? You said so, and you paused. Right. And then you and and you've done that like four or five times and I love it. <laughs> Absolutely love it. I love it. I love it. So that's part I already have detected that that's part of your character, you know, part of not not your character, but part of your characteristic. One of your characteristics might might not say. And I'm sorry. I've just I've just got so excited about that I had to call. Well, no, this is intriguing to me as well, but my next question was to so when, when you listen to someone and you start to develop a, um, an impression of them, how long does it take you? Do you have to study a person for weeks? Uh, do you get it right away, or how? Oh, how it's do you... almost on, it's almost on the spot. Really? I remember when I first realized that Whoopi Goldberg was somebody that I was going to do. It was almost automatic. Mm. I just went straight into her voice. You know what I'm saying? It was <laughs> there. There was no. There was no. There was no beating around the bush or trying to figure out whether or not this was going to happen. It just did. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Give us a little of Monique. That's one of my favorites with you as well. Hey, sugar. You know, when you first told me that you were going to have me to come on your show, boo, and do this, I said, I'm good with that, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um Sylvia, um tell us a little uh, about where you're going to be performing next and where we can see you live um because we we gotten to the point now. I'm sure people are wondering. So, yeah, yeah. Where can we see her? You know, I'm excited that this coming Saturday on the 19th, mm-hmm. I uh, I've been invited to do a show for breast cancer awareness. 
Mm. And it's in Washington, D.C. You know, I should be ashamed because I can't think of the name of the place, but I do know that it's located at 1326 Florida Avenue in northeast Washington, D.C., right up the street from Gallaudet College. And I remember I did a, a, a breast cancer symposium. I entertained there. And there was a woman there by the name of Victoria Ann Russell. And, Michael, I'm telling you, I sat there. She's a breast cancer survivor. Mm -hmm. I sat there and I listened to this woman talk about her journey. Mm -hmm. And it was life-changing. I'm not even a, you know, I don't even have breast cancer. I'm not a, none of that. But she changed my life as a result of her journey. And I promised myself that if, if there was anything I could do on behalf of breast cancer or cancer, period, I would try to take advantage of being able to offer my services or get hired or do whatever it is that people wanted me to do. I'm available. I'm going for it. That woman stood there and told her journey, and I'm telling you, you could hear a pin drop, and people were on their feet when she finished. And so I also invited her to come and share again on Saturday. So it's 7 o'clock this Saturday coming up at 1326 Florida Avenue, Northeast. And I would be delighted and just tickled pink if people would come out and show some support. I think the, t- I think the tickets are $15 or something like that. Or yeah, I'm, I'm actually looking on your um, Facebook page to see if I could find the um, pertinent details um, yeah, it's a um, it's a pink it's a it's a pink um, flyer, and I have there's a picture of me on it. As a matter of fact, gotcha. There okay, there yeah. Yango um, Entertainment and the Bowling Group LLC proudly presents an evening of elegance, a tribute to our African American women honoring the journey of breast cancer survivors, featuring Sylvia Traymore Morrison. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, awesome. 1326 Florida Avenue, um, and I don't see a name of the venue. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's Soul 57. Oh, there S-O-U-L. it is, yeah. Soul 57. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very good. And um, they have the, the tickets are available there, mm-hmm. or they have a phone number you can call, which is 202-270-1098 for right. tickets. Yeah, advanced okay. tickets are fifteen dollars, but at the door they're twenty. Mhm. Mhm. Okay, very good. And we're probably you know I just finished um, a weekend at at the Riot Act in Washington D.C. So um, that was this uh, two weeks ago. We had four shows. Um, eight o'clock at ten. Packed houses. Wonderful event. I was so glad to be home and so happy that many D.C. people came out to see the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, so lots of books and just a just a, an evening of two wonderful evenings. So I'm hoping we can recreate all that magic again at this Breast Cancer Awareness event. No, oh, that's great. Yeah, we wish you the best on that. And you're going to bring your books along as well? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> all right. We yeah. have a Facebook page called Almost there, almost. So if you haven't gone on and liked it, please do. There's oh, some, okay. There's uh, some really good reviews and there's some fun stuff that goes on there. So uh, 
Okay, I'm trying to pull it up right now. Almost there, almost. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a comma behind the there, so otherwise you'll get, I don't know what will come up. Yeah, almost there, comma, almost. There it is, yeah. Okay, I will like your page right now. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are doing the very same. So, you know, I, I love the interactivity oh. of um, the Internet. Isn't it? <laughs> oh, my God. I was just, we were just talking about that. I was like, can you imagine? We didn't even have cell phones back in the day. And I remember traveling on public transportation in New York City, traveling the streets just like I owned them and didn't, wasn't afraid of anything. I was just right there, just doing my thing in New York, hanging out um, with people like Jerry Seinfeld, and you know, just just the internet is just amazing. Wow! What a now, joy to be able to experience it. Now you were hanging out with these people long before their careers popped. Um, yeah. and um, tell us a little bit about that transition when you started actually working with Saturday Night Live and what that meant to you at that time. You know, now this was, I'm going to tell my age here, and I'm okay with that because, hey. <laughs> you know, what a blessing. In 1979, to be mm-hmm. exact, April 13th, 1979, I think Saturday Night Live had been in existence for about four years maybe. I think they've been on the air for about three or four years. And it was at the Muhammad Ali roast that um, Garrett Morris, who was one of the roasters. Oh, came up to me and he said, Garrett Morris was one of the original cast members of Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And after like three standing ovations, he said, you've got to meet Lauren Michaels, who at that time was the executive producer of Saturday Night Live and is still the executive producer. Mm-hmm. And um, again, without spoiling the story in the book, Garrett invited me over to the NBC studios to meet Mr. Michaels. And we sat there. I had no clue at all that Saturday Night Live was going to become the icon that it is. Mm. And they offered me the job right then and then. I did not stay with Saturday Night Live long at all. As a matter of fact, um, I get some, I own up to the fact that I was offered the job. I only did two sessions with them. So it's not like I wrote for them for four years and blah, blah, blah. Right. But the fact remains, they offered me the job. I did it. I worked with them the night they had Linda Ronstadt and um, Phoebe Snow, I think it was, on their show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I was just there. I was in all the excitement over at the studios. Looking at, there was John Bellucci and Dan Aykroyd and all mm. these people who were original cast, Jane Curtin and, Mm. Radner, that whole crew. Oh yeah. And they weren't all of that they are today at that time. They were they were building. But you know, who oh my God, who would have thought that it was gonna grow into that? So just being able to, to to have been involved was they brought me in because they wanted me to kind of help the image of, of black women because they felt every time they wrote a skit about black women it was just wrong. It was just wrong. So mm-hmm. they thought I could come in and offer some, some help with that. I said, I can do it. Yes, I can. So. Wow. So from where where did you go from there? Um, you know, it's funny because 
and this really has nothing to do with entertainment to a degree. At the time, I was dating a guy who played in the NBA. Mm. And I laugh and I get tickled because I said, if Basketball Wives was out, then I'm sure I'd have been on the show. And they probably <laughs> would have asked me to leave because I would have added a whole other kind of flavor. I'd have added comedy to what's already, to that drama that they're you, doing. You don't want to mention who you were dating in the NBA? Oh, I've noticed in the book, Larry Keenan. He played for the San Antonio Spurs. Oh, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. A lot of people, you know, it's been a long time, so people are like, who? So, yeah, he, he came in. Um, we got Google. Uh, oh. <laughs> he came in with uh, the ABA. It was him and Dr. J, George Gervin. I did my little research later on, you know, because I, I didn't know anything about ball players, so to speak, like that. But, um... Uh, that was all. All of that. All of that is in the book. I, I just. It's like a whole book of memoirs and people. There are people that are in the book that I came in contact with, who I became very good friends with, who made national news. Mm. For instance, um, Rashida Moore. Mm-hmm. Her family was a friend of my family. As a matter of fact, her mother sung at my mother's funeral. And for people that don't know who Rashida Moore is, um, she was the person involved with Mayor Marion Barry's demise. Hmm. There's Anita Hill, who was connected with the whole Clarence Thomas Supreme Court justice. That who, as a matter of fact, with, between Whitney Houston Anita Hill and Rashida Moore, I think it was People Magazine offered me a nice chunk of change to tell my story about Oh, really? Them. Wow. Yeah. And, and did you? No. <laughs> well, good for no. you. I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't do it. I just, there's no way I could tell a story that, first of all, I didn't have a story. Well, I, I no, I just couldn't do it. There's no way I could look those women in their face and give out some alleged dirt that I didn't know about. I just knew them. Um, And one of the things I talk about in the book with respect to Anita Hill is the fact that when I knew Anita, this is way before the Clarence Thomas proceedings, it wasn't her per se. I knew her friend who was her roommate now. You have to understand, Michael, back in the day, and you are perfectly aware of this, I'm sure, um, the whole gay movement was nothing like it is today. Zero. As a matter of fact, people tried to keep it as quiet as possible. They couldn't even, almost couldn't talk about it. I'm talking like the 70s. And I used to have a carpool that... Where I worked, a lot of us rode to work together, and I picked him up. And this attorney who I picked up had a girlfriend who was her roommate. Well, we didn't know, not when I say girlfriend, I mean just generally speaking. Right. And this, this one particular day, I, I hate that I'm telling this story because it's such a shocker in the book. But this one particular day, this attorney and her girlfriend get out of the car together to say their goodbyes, and they kissed on the lips. Well, the other three ladies and I, we got so tickled because we've never seen women 
You know, that just, people just didn't do that. They just didn't do that. And it was like, oh, my God. We figured, you know, something was going on because, just because. And come to find out, in my opinion, and this is just my own personal opinion, I believe Anita Hill because when we found out that they were lovers, then it, it, it just all kind of added up and made sense to me. So in the book, it wasn't like I was trying to throw her under the bus or anything because now it's okay to come out, you know, and you're gay, whatever. So um, my old position was to show that I believe this woman. I believe her. I'm sorry. I, I just did. I believe her. And I don't think she lied because it was she just she wasn't even in the mess. She wasn't even in the mess. So that was me telling that part just now with that. But it, it's it's like it's most people that read the book they'll say, Oh my god, I love the whole Anita Hill thing and it's, really? it's like it's, it's yeah, it's, it's like Wow. That. Okay. Well um, so there? I'll be looking for my signed copy. Um <laughs> And how about this? How about this, Michael? I have um, one we have we're selling one thousand hard copies of the book as collector's uh-huh. items. Because I did not have a ghostwriter. I didn't have any editors. It was straight from my heart. It's straight from me. Nobody changed anything. Nobody did anything. So these, the first 1,000 copies, and we launched in October. I'm like, why haven't I sold 1,000 copies of this book yet? <laughs> I was embarrassed. You know, I'm like, people are like, well, you, you, I thought you said the first one. Well, yeah, come to find out, the reason being, and let's talk about the Internet, everybody's buying it on Kindle. Ah. And look. Well, they give you a count as well. So have you checked out how many of those? Well, they I meant 1,000 physical copies. Okay. Handwritten autographed copies I see. of the book. So that's what, um, that's what that was, you know, with respect to the numbers. Uh, <laughs> I was just so shocked because I'm like, I know that so-and-so would have bought my book, and I know that come to find out everybody's downloading it to Kindle. So that'll work, too. There you go. So they're not included in the 1,000 copies. Now, did you self-publish as well? or? I did. I did. I self-published. And And how were you able uh, to get your your book on Kindle? When you self-publish, you can do that. There's a program that allows you Mm. To that Kindle will allow to publish through them. Oh. What a breakthrough! What a what a wonderful it breakthrough it was! What a wonderful breakthrough! Because of that, you know, people are reading my book at book clubs all across the country. I'm going to book signings, and you know, I'm just it. I'm 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 just elated. I'm I'm just delighted. All of that because no. of what's taking place. Well, that's great. And um, we're going to just come back after a minute, and we're going to find out a little bit more about your website, your blog site, and all of that. And we'll be right back with A Measure of Truth with Sylvia Traymore Morris right after this. Hi, I'm Michael Fordham, host of A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. I want to take a quick minute to talk to you about Young Lives DC 34. 
Young Lives is a unique, cutting-edge, nonprofit Christian organization designed to empower and equip pregnant and parenting teen moms to become productive citizens in the community. A program that partners teens and mature Christian women to provide teen girls in crisis with timely encouragement, guidance, and ongoing support. Through the power of presence, kids and teens' lives are dramatically impacted when caring adults come alongside them, sharing God's love. Because someone believes in them, they begin to see that their lives have great worth, meaning, and purpose. This is just the first step in a lifelong journey. The choices they make today, based on God's love for them, will impact their future decisions, the careers they choose, the marriages they form, and the families they raise. And all of this can be traced back to the time when a young life leader reached out and entered their world. For more information or to get involved, check out their webpage at www.younglives.younglife.org. Or if you're in the D.C. metropolitan area, call 202-399-7017. Wow, well, we're coming to the end of another great show on the Measure of Truth. And um, Sylvia, I just want to thank you for you know joining us today. And um, please let our listeners know um, you know your Facebook page as well as um, your your blogs and your websites and other places where people can connect with you as well as purchase your book. Oh, okay. Well, I'm on Twitter at Sylvia T. Morrison, and my Facebook page is Sylvia Traymore Morrison, and um, my blog is Saturdays with Sylvia, and you can go to Amazon.com or go to Kindle. If you are a prime member of Kindle, you can download the book for free. And that, too, Michael, is, like, incredible. Wow. If they have that, you can download it for free. You know, and, and and just read it. Um, there's uh, the website www.sylviatraymore.com. You can also purchase the book through that, and you'll be able to get a signed copy of one of those 1,000 original copies. And I think there may be about 400 of those left. So we're they, they're going slow, but the Kindle edition they're just it's just amazing. They just and the book is almost there, almost. Okay. The many faces of Sylvia Tremor Morrison. That's oh. awesome. Well, Sylvia, I, I look forward to um, hopefully getting to one of your events really soon. I don't know if I can make it this Saturday. Okay. I have another event I'm doing on Friday night, um, a live performance at the Tavern with Angela Stribling and. Um, <gasps> Oh yeah. my God! I love Angela Stribling. Yeah, I love her. Yes. Oh my oh, yeah. God! I'm really looking mm. forward to that. I saw her live at um at um um what is the Blues Alley? Yeah, and um yeah. I I just love you know watching you know blues artists yes and jazz artists in a small venue. You know, it really gives you the opportunity to sort of feel the music and just feel Absolutely. like you're a part of everything. So, yeah, yeah. So um going to check that out on Friday and everyone else. You, you've seen me post some things on my Facebook as well. Yeah. I'm going to mm-hmm. take um, the event that you have um, coming up on this Saturday as well and post that so that everyone Thank will you. know where to find it and uh, get the information they need if they want to come and check you out. 
Well, look, Sylvia, um, <laughs> I just want to thank you for coming on board and entertaining me tonight and, and boosting oh, my mood on this dreary day. And <laughs> it's been a lot of thank fun. Thank you very much. I love coming on your show. It's, it's, and and uh, I like to say a shout out to Donna too, who's just just incredible. She's just wonderful. Yeah, she is. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. And letting me just go for it. I love it when I can. You You have some really great questions. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you much. And um, we will talk with you real soon. And don't be a stranger. You know, get back to us as soon as you're doing something else as well. We'd love to have you on, even if it's just for a few minutes, to let us know what's coming up next. I appreciate it, Michael. Take care and have a good one. You too, Sylvia. Thank you. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, we've come to the end of another great show, and special thanks to our producer, Donna Hardiman. I'm Michael Fordham, and you've been listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. But before you go, here's a little something to take with you. Ask God for wisdom daily, but know that your lesson can come from anybody or any situation, good or bad, friend or foe. Watch your thoughts. They become words. And watch your words. They become actions. And watch your actions. They become habits. And watch your habits. They become your character. And watch your character. It becomes your destiny. Until we meet again, take care of what becomes of you.
got on my side I'm like Rocky You put me up in the ring They can't drop me A whole army of demons Just can't stop me If you can stop and listen And pay attention And vision yourself In life and wealth Be positioned with intuition Simple and brain Walk in the game Your name blends in with the life Chasing the fame See all they do is memorize Guns and cars It ain't just drug dealers Behind bars So what the Beast patrol capture Your soul Put a smile on your face
for Turn It Up on blogtalkradio.com this Friday. Join me and the Leo for another live show that you won't want to miss. Thank you and have a blessed week.